the day that will be. I trust you're looking forward to that day. If you have your Bibles there, turn to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy and chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we started last night with the theme, Dangerous Times Are Coming, and we have before us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, one of the great prophecies concerning the last times, the end of days, and Paul writes this note also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. <clears throat> and we believe these are the days uh, immediately preceding the rapture of the church. There have been seasons of perilous times. The word times there has the idea of seasons. Down through the church age, certainly there have been seasons of perilous times. But as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, they intensify. And things get worse. Evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so in our last message, we looked at the description of the last days in those first nine verses. And what a a dark and black catalogue of things are mentioned there. But how true a description uh, we have there of not only the uh, spiritual environment of the world at large, but more specifically... Uh, Paul is describing there the apostate Christianity, apostate Christendom that will exist uh, in the last days, and I think we are there. But we have the great encouragements now, and I want you to see tonight's lesson and tomorrow's lesson in the context of what Paul has said about the last days, because it's just a continuation of that theme, because it provides us the principles uh, for living in an apostate age. And uh, you say, well, some people say, well, you, you people who believe uh, in <clears throat> this idea that uh, the world is going to get worse before the time of Christ and you believe in a pre tribulation rapture, you just believe, don't you, of just sort of just hunkering down somewhere in a bunker and just waiting for the rapture? No, not at all. Until the rapture comes, we are to live for the Lord. And so tonight our theme is the duties for the last days and the first duty is to be faithful. So we're going to pick up our reading in verse 10 and read down to verse 17. Many of these verses, particularly the ones at the end of the chapter, are familiar to us but let us not allow the familiarity of these verses to prevent us from getting something fresh tonight. Verse 10, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, yet out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived." But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect truly furnished unto all good works. Let's ask the Lord for some blessing, shall we? Father, we ask for your blessing upon our time and your word now. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen uh, the preacher tonight, empty him of self, 
Fill him with thy spirit, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you would uh, minister to each heart and speak to each heart. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts already this weekend. And we pray now that you would speak to us afresh and encourage us afresh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I mentioned yet last night in this chapter, Paul warns Timothy of the coming apostasy of the last days in verse 1 to 9. Then Paul refers to his own example as a contrast to the apostates in verse 10 to 13, and then exhorts Timothy to live a life distinct from the apostates in conformity to the scriptures. And really, the central theme of this message is the word continue, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. Timothy is, in, is exhorted in light of the apostate environment around him to continue on to be faithful. <clears throat> and so Paul's going to firstly encourage Timothy with his own example in verse 10 to 12. Then he will exhort him to be faithful, verse 14 to 15, and then will, give him the, will equip him for a life of faithfulness by reminding him of the scriptures in verse 16 and 17. So let's look firstly tonight at the example of faithfulness in verse 10 to 13. The example of faithfulness in 10 to 13. Paul gives a contrast now between himself and the apostates that have been described in the previous verses. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, and so on. So Paul is now going to give us an example, or give Timothy an example, of his own life to inspire Timothy to be a faithful man. I want you to see there in verse 10 and 11 what I would call Paul's catalogue. Thou hast fully known, he says, and then he lists nine things that Timothy knew well about the life of the Apostle Paul. And Paul's knowledge of, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Timothy's knowledge of Paul's godly life would encourage him and spur him on to faithfulness. So look at these nine terms that we have here. Thou hast fully known my doctrine. Interesting that that is the first one on the list. The Apostle Paul uh, was a man who held to sound doctrine and he says, Timothy, you're going to be faced with perilous times. Perilous times shall come. He describes that hideous picture of the apostate and says, but Timothy, you knew my doctrine. What a contrast to the creeping creeps we saw there. Uh, the, the, the false teacher always has something to hide. The false teacher is, has, has something to hide, but Paul says, my life, in contrast, Timothy, was knowable. You knew my doctrine. You knew the theological position that I had, the gospel truths that I taught, and the truths contained in his epistles. That's very important, isn't it, that we be knowable, that we be very clear about where we stand in relation to doctrine, because mark this down, one of the features of false teachers is they always try and hide things. There's a secrecy about how they operate and when someone is operating in a secretive manner in relation to what they believe, you can pretty well be sure they're dabbling in heresy. That's the truth of it. But how different for Paul, where he said, Thou hast fully known my doctrine. I was very concerned recently. I saw, um, I just skimmed through it. I didn't have time to watch the whole thing. But David Cloud sent me this video clip of an independent Baptist pastor. Or he claims to be an independent Baptist pastor in America. And he has transitioned away from the King James Version of the Bible and has transitioned his um, congregation away. And he actually does this whole video where he's basically uh, teaching pastors how they can slowly and subtly 
and in a kind of a hidden manner transitioned their church from a KJV-only position into accepting the modern versions. Now, I listened to that and I thought, something doesn't sound right there. Even Let's just put the issue of versions to one side for a moment. Operating in that secretive, clandestine kind of way is nothing like what we see in the Apostle Paul's life here. Paul's life was knowable and transparent and apart from the fact I disagree with you on what you're doing in relation to versions, I disagree with your ethics. If you want a church built on modern versions, don't hijack an independent Baptist church that was built on the blood, sweat and tears of godly saints and godly preachers and steal the building and paint it black and bring in the drum set. No, if you want that kind of church, you go and start your own but don't try and, and sneakily uh, lure God's people into that kind of situation. In fact, they held a conference last year and it's all about encouraging independent Baptist pastors, so-called, on how they can transition their churches. Skirt Kelly was one of the speakers. He seems to be a popular favourite in some circles here in Australia still. <clears throat> Not Paul, thou hast fully known my doctrine. <clears throat> manner of life. This refers to Paul's conduct, <clears throat> the, uh, his lifestyle. Uh, Paul's life was a knowable life. He had a good testimony. Uh, Paul was godly in and out of the pulpit, we could say. But he said, you fully know my purpose. What was Paul's purpose? Well, the great goal and aim of Paul's life was to fulfill God's calling upon his life. As you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, I think you'll agree with me, it was a focused life. His life was a life of the one thing, this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward under those things which are before, that was the Apostle Paul. Faith. Faith. Timothy knew of Paul's faith. Paul was a man of great faith in God. Great faith. And therefore he had great power upon his ministry. How we need men today like the Apostle Paul who are men and women of great faith. Long-suffering. Patient forbearance. He was a patient man, <clears throat> forbearing, bearing under the trials and the tests of the ministry. That's certainly something required, isn't it, for those in ministry? Charity, Christian love. Uh, Paul was a man who was known for his love for God and love for others. Patience, the word patience means bearing up under the load. Perseverance amid trying circumstances, how we need that in our lives. Patience, what a wonderful example. And isn't it a wonderful thing when you can see men of God like Paul or men of God even in our day who have been faithful through the trials, who have been faithful to the word of God and to the calling God has given them and they have gone through the storms with the Lord Jesus and been faithful and remained true. So how we need that. Persecutions. The Apostle Paul <clears throat> knew what it was to be persecuted he uses the word afflictions, which refers to sufferings. And he mentions three <clears throat> persecutions that he suffered in three places. Antioch in Pisidia, Acts 13, 40, uh, 45 to 51. Iconium, Acts 14, 1 to 2. And Lystra, Acts 14, 19 to 20. So uh, these were places in Paul's first missionary journey. <clears throat> so we have Paul's catalogue of faithfulness there. Now we look at Paul's conclusions in verse 12 and 13. He draws some conclusions here and he says, yea, 
And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So he continues on this theme of persecution. Paul had suffered persecution, but now he mentions this principle that all that would live godly in Christ Jesus would also suffer persecution. Now notice it does not say all Christians will suffer persecution. It says all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's the godly Christian, it's the separated believer who will encounter this kind of opposition. You know why many Christians do not experience persecution, do not experience opposition? They're not godly. They're not walking a holy, separated life in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard of Jim Elliott, the great missionary, and he said this, he said, the world cannot hate us, we are too much like its own. The world cannot hate us, we are too much like its own. But no, Paul says, all they that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Persecution comes in many forms and in varying degrees, but a godly Christian will face some sort of persecution in his walk with Christ. You say, and I try and encourage people about this, you say, I don't understand, Pastor. I really started to get serious for the Lord. I began to read my Bible and began to pray and to be faithful in my local church, and I started to get a zeal and a passion for the things of God, and all of a sudden now I'm getting this opposition and this opposition. Am I doing the wrong thing? That tells me you're on the right track. The reason why you are facing opposition, the reason why you are facing discouragements and battles is because you are now living a godly life and you've become a threat to the devil. The devil's not too worried about a lukewarm Christian. The devil is not too worried about a worldly Christian because very often they're doing his work, even if they don't realize it. But let a Christian get a hold of the Word of God. Let a Christian get serious for God and mark it down. Even in Australia, you will suffer persecution. You will suffer opposition. Some of you maybe are here tonight and you come under a persecution from your family because you attend a godly church. You are facing opposition from your family because you're trying to walk the separated walk. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed by that. This is to be expected. Jesus said in John 15, 18 to 19, if, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. 1 John three thirteen says this, Marvel not, brethren, if the world hates you. Now, I'm not saying we should go out there and seek persecution. You notice how that Paul referred to the fact that the persecution came unto him. Uh, don't get this mindset, <clears throat> Brother Ryan was touching on this, I'm just going to go out there and be a martyr for the faith. No, 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 no. You probably won't be because that's actually a work of the flesh. Don't, we don't seek martyrdom. We don't seek persecution. But what you'll find, you just get busy following the Lord. You just get busy serving the Lord and loving the Lord. The persecution will have a way of finding you. The opposition will come to you. The devil will send his darts to you. Don't worry about that. You don't have to seek for persecution. You just live godly and you will face it. So Paul makes this conclusion about the persecution of the godly. Then he makes a a conclusion about the perversity of the ungodly. (coughs) 
Verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So here we see that principle that error will increase as the church age progresses. Evil men and seducers. We're living in days of tremendous seduction. Satanic seductions. 1 Timothy 4, 1. The Spirit speaketh, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the last days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And evil men, Paul says, <clears throat> and seducers will wax worse and worse. You say, how on earth can we be in that situation in our society where people are considering certain things in relation to gender and just mind-blowing kind of evil? Listen, man without God's restraint really knows no limit. It's actually staggering and shocking the dark depths that men can go to without the restraint of God. I tell you, we better be thankful for salvation and for the Holy Spirit in our lives because we could be in the depths of those pits ourselves. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. But what's sad about this, the Bible says they deceive, deceiving and being deceived. Do you see that? Not only does, do these people deceive others, but they themselves become victims of deception. And that's the danger of dealing in the world of error. If you're going to embark on a course of deception and your mind and your heart is dealing in that space of deception and lies, it's only a matter of time before you yourself become deceived. Very dangerous. And so this is part of God's judgment on those who lead others astray. They deceive others and they then become captive to the currents of falsehood themselves. So there we have the example of faithfulness. The Apostle Paul is an inspiration and an example to Timothy in an apostate age, and he's an example to us too, in an age of increasing apostasy, to be faithful. Notice number two now, what I would call the exhortation to faithfulness in verse 14 to 15. <clears throat> but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise under salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So these verses are a continuation of what Paul has been teaching about apostasy. It's all connected here. <clears throat> in the context of this description of apostasy, Paul is emphasizing now the infallible inspiration of scripture, and he's exhorting Timothy to continue on to be faithful. You know, that's what we need in an apostate hour. You say that, that the hour is dark. We are living in days of great apostasy. We need faithful men and women who are going to continue in the truth, continue in the things that they have learned, continue standing for the word of God. Could I encourage you? That's part of the purpose of this conference. It's not just to make us aware of the darkness of apostasy and of the end, day, end of times, but it is hopefully to encourage you and to stir you up to go forward and to stand and to be continuing on for the Lord. So Timothy is to be faith, was to be faithful to two key things in his life, and so are we. Firstly, he was to be faithful to his schooling. His schooling, verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom 
thou hast learned them. So can you see here that Timothy is being exhorted to live a life that is distinct from the evil men described in the previous verses? He's gone through and explained, perilous times shall come, men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. He goes through that terrible list. But thou, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. And that's the solution for us also. Here we have apostasy, the reality of it, in the end times, but God wants us to live faithfully. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. That word continue means to abide. In fact, that same word is translated abide 61 times in the New Testament. So he wants Timothy to remain firm. He wants him to be steadfast in the truths of the word of God. What was he to be faithful to? Well, to his schooling, but specifically the things he had been taught, the things thou hast learned. Now, who did Timothy learn the truth from? Well, Timothy had a godly mother, didn't he? By the name of Eunice, and a godly grandmother by the name of Lois. No mention of his father. It would appear that his father was an unbeliever. We know uh, we have one reference to his father being a Greek. So Timothy was a half Jew, half Greek. But Timothy had been instructed by his mother and his grandmother. That should encourage you tonight. If you happen to be in a situation where you maybe have an unsaved spouse or even a spouse who doesn't really follow the law closely, don't underestimate the impact that a mother can have on a child. Don't underestimate the impact that a godly grandmother can have on a child and God can use you in that situation. I understand that's not ideal. It's much better to have mother and father united together and teaching children and being on the same page. But I'm just saying God's grace can work even in that kind of situation. And Timothy's life is a testament of that. So Timothy had his mother, his grandmother, and he also had the Apostle Paul to teach him. The things which thou hast learned... The things that thou hast been assured of. Timothy had become assured of some things. There were clear doctrines that he had learned and he was to stand for those things. Aren't you thankful tonight that scripture is the most dependable thing on this earth? And we can be assured of the truths of the word of God and we can stand for those truths. Aren't you thankful tonight for the anchor of the word of God in an apostate hour? Aren't you thankful tonight that we can know some things from the word of God? Timothy, he says, you have been assured of these things. Listen, we can be certain about what the Bible teaches. That does not mean that we do not have to still continue learn, learning and growing as a Christian. But I sure hope that as a believer, you will come to a place in your life where you are settled on some things, where you are assured of some things. I tell you tonight, we are assured that the Bible is the Word of God. We are assured that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the virgin-born Son of God. We are assured tonight that the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. We are assured tonight of the deity of Jesus Christ. We are assured tonight of the Genesis account of creation. We are assured tonight of these great doctrines of the Word of God. And since it's prophecy conference, yes, we are assured in the truth of the pre-tribulation rapture too. Don't be one of these Christians who's always in that, that state of ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yes, you need to continue going on in your life, learning and growing, but praise God, God has given his word in such a way that you and I can be settled and assured of some things. That's so important. <clears throat> Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Paul also wanted Timothy to consider 
who he had learned these things from. Again, this would refer back to his godly mother and grandmother and also the teachings of the Apostle Paul. You know, it's an important thing to think about, to think about the character of the person who taught you. Now, we understand that we are never to just blindly accept everything a human teacher gives us. We are to prove all things. Paul himself instructed uh, us to do that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're to prove all things, but hold fast that which is good. But we should not throw away lightly the things we have been taught by the godly teachers and instructors in our lives that God has provided, provided they are sound of the Word of God. And you're going to have to be aware of that because there are going to be any number of people who will want to try and come and teach you, teach you their pet heresies and their pet doctrines. But think about the godliness of those God has provided in your life and what they have taught you. Very, very important. We're living in days today where people seem to be so quick to throw things away. Godly truths they've been taught, doctrines, and they just, it's, it's, it's staggering. Maybe they might continue in those things for 10, 20, 30 years, and all of a sudden they just reinvent themselves and get some new revelation or something and throw away all those precious things from the Word of God. I'm not talking about holding on to human traditions taught to us by human men. I'm talking about where we've been taught the Word of God. If you have godly parents here tonight who have taught you the Word of God, like Timothy received instruction from his mother and grandmother, don't just throw that away. So Timothy was to be faithful to his schooling. Number two, he was to be faithful to the Scriptures, verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Faithful to the Scriptures. Continue in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. You say, what do we do in an apostate age? How are we to live in an apostate age? We need men and women of God who are going to be faithful to the Word of God. Faithful to the Word of God. Look at the time of his instruction there from a child. This word child comes from the Greek word brephos, which is a newborn child, an infant, a little baby. I can't think of any greater privilege, can you, than growing up in a home surrounded by the truth, surrounded by the light of the Word of God. Could I speak to you again tonight? If you've grown up in a Christian home where your parents from your youngest age have whispered prayers over your little body and over your little heart and mind, where you have grown up where the name of Jesus was spoken of in your home, where the Word of God was read, you just cannot begin to understand how much of a blessing you've been given. Don't throw that away. But my parents aren't perfect. Guess what? When you become a parent, you'll find out you're not perfect either. Sometimes as children who've grown up in Christian homes, we can be awfully hard on our parents until you become a parent yourself and think, how on earth were they so nice? <laughs> how on earth did, you know, <clears throat> you know, how on earth did, was my dad so patient? But Timothy had this blessing. From the time he was an infant, the word of God had been his milk and his drink. I like what John Phillips says here. He says, Timothy imbibed the scriptures with his mother's milk. Her lullabies were the Psalms. The songs she sang around the house were Hebrew hymns. She taught him to read from the Bible and to respect it as the foremost and final authority on all matters. And when his mother wasn't teaching him, his grandmother was. Be faithful 
to the scriptures, the time of his instruction, the content of his instruction, what had he been taught? The Holy Scriptures. Parents, you know the most important education we can give our children is the word of the living God. There's something wrong when Christian parents are so concerned their children get a secular education and get a degree so they can make money and that is the primary focus and neglect the word of God. And I'm not saying that our children don't have to learn those things but the most important education our children can receive is instruction in the word of God. The word scriptures here has, it, it comes from the, the um, Hebrew, sorry, the Greek word which means letters or writings. We see they are holy, meaning set apart for, for, uh, uh, by God there. They're distinct from the writings of men and it has the idea there of, of, of holy letters, holy writings. Again, I'll quote Philip's here. He says, it is far better to be lettered in the scriptures than to have a string of letters after one's name from a galaxy of Ivy League colleges, but no understanding of the Bible. I like that. It's far better to be lettered. How many letters have you got after your name? Why are you lettered in the Scriptures? (laughs) That's the most important education that we can have and that we can give. Maybe you weren't raised like Timothy with that privilege, but by God's grace, you can give that to your children. What was the aim of this instruction for Timothy? Well, to make thee wise under salvation. That was the aim of the instruction, to make Timothy wise unto salvation. And this reveals to us the grand purpose of the Bible. The grand purpose of the Holy Scriptures are to lead the lost to salvation, to bring us to salvation. That's the grand theme of the Word of God as it unfolds. The sinfulness of man, as we see there in the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. And the Bible is a testament of the sinfulness of man for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. But it also teaches us of the, the solution, the saviour, uh, the gospel, the good news that God provided a way of salvation. And so this is the great design of the word of God to bring us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive salvation, to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you have not yet received God's gift of eternal life. Do you see there it says it's through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Salvation is received through faith. It's by grace through faith that we receive salvation. We have to come to God with empty hands as sinners and receive salvation as a free gift. So we see the example of faithfulness in the Apostle Paul, the exhortation to faithfulness to Timothy there and look at number three now and lastly the equipping for faithfulness in verse 16 and 17 the equipping for faithfulness and Paul continues with the theme of the scriptures here uh, and the scriptures equip us for faithfulness in an apostate age verse 16 and 17 all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So the same scriptures to which, to which Timothy is to be faithful will also provide him with the spiritual resources to be faithful. So as one writer says, after exhorting Timothy to hold fast to the sacred scriptures, he now proceeds to describe them. And these verses before us contain some of the greatest and grandest statements on the, the character of the Bible in the entire scriptures. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we notice, note a couple of things here. The source of the scriptures. The source of the scriptures. All scripture 
is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture. All Scripture. That's the scope of inspiration. Inspiration extends to every part of the Bible. Now, I want you to answer me as I give you this this statement and tell me if it's true or false. The Bible, here's the statement, the Bible contains the Word of God. True or false? False. Why is that a false statement or an inaccurate statement? The Word of God does not contain, the Bible does not contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It's all the Word of God. When as soon as you say the Bible contains the Word of God, you're implying that there's some of it's the Word of God and some of it is not. No, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we believe tonight unashamedly in the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. We believe that the inspiration of the Word of God extends to every part and to every single word. Now, we've had some references throughout these messages about the version issue. You know, one of the big issues with the modern version is not only the fact they're based on a corrupt set of manuscripts, but it's also they also are based on a corrupt translation method. The King James Bible and the old Protestant Reformation era Bibles in other great languages of the world, whether it was German or French, were word-for-word translations. So there was that high reverence for every single word in the Bible and the translators of the King James sought to very diligently and very reverently translate every single word so they tried to find an English word for every Greek word, an English word for every Hebrew word and to give us that very clear word-for-word translation, of course expressed in an English uh, structure so we could understand it, but word-for-word. Whereas the modern versions place less emphasis upon the exact words of Scripture, and they employ a translation method called dynamic equivalency, where they say, well, the actual words themselves are not so important. We just need to translate the thoughts and the concepts. And the danger with that is it puts too much power in the hands of the translator to manipulate the Word of God. No, no, no. We have here before us a word-for-word translation, and that's important because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. By the way, you should be concerned, therefore, if you have versions that are taking words out of the Bible. I am shocked at how many Christians just dismiss that as some sort of, oh, you know, I couldn't care less. Listen to me, if all Scripture has been given by inspiration of God and you have wicked men wrenching words out of the Bible, that ought to concern you. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, this word inspiration of God, or the phrase inspiration of God, comes from one compound Greek word, theonustos, made up of God, theos, and blow or wind, pneo. So it means God breathed. What a beautiful and wonderful picture of the Scriptures. The Scripture is literally breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. That is the strongest possible concept we could have of divine inspiration, the Word of God, the breath of God. God breathed out His Word onto the pages of, of, of Scripture through holy men of God as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That gives the Bible infinite value, doesn't it? Aren't you thankful for, for the Word of God in a world of confusion, in a world that's filled with apostasy and filled with, with lies? We have the infallible standard of God's truth. so the scriptures are precious to us. Albert Barnes says this of the Bible, let us then study and prize the Bible 
It is a holy and safe guide. It has conducted millions along the dark and dangerous way of life and has never led one astray. The human mind in its investigations of truth has never gone beyond its teachings, nor has man ever advanced into a region so bright that its light has become dim or where it has not thrown its beams of glory on some far distant objects. The source of the scriptures, the it's given of God. It's, it's in, uh, given by inspiration of God. Then we notice, secondly, the service of the Scriptures. And the Scriptures are stated here to be profitable for four purposes. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Well, of course it's profitable. <laughs> it's infinitely profitable to us because it is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for these four things. What's the first one at the top of the list there? Do you see a contrast to that in, in, in the priority there to the apostate church, that we, the, the, the apostate world we're living in? What is the scripture valuable for? What's it profitable for, uh, dear Paul here? <clears throat> What's it important for? Well, the very first thing on the list, when it comes to the service of the scriptures, it is doctrine. Well, doctrine divides, but love unites. Well, you have a very faulty definition of love. We should love God. Someone said, if you love God for who he is, you'll love God for what he says. You'll love God for what he says. No, doctrine is important. This is the first use of the scriptures that is listed. The total reverse priority to the modern user-friendly church that would have a set-aside doctrine in the name of unity. That's the big push out there today. Doctrine divides, put the Bible to one side and let's all just unite. That's the, that's the message of this ecumenical age we're living in and we have to be very careful that we don't begin to get affected by that. No, doctrine is important. The great doctrines of the Word of God are important and we are to stand for them. And so doctrine is important. It also reminds us that all of our doctrine is to come from the Scriptures. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So our doctrines are to be based entirely on the Word of God. That's what sets us apart from these churches like the Catholic Church that believe in Scripture plus tradition. No, our doctrine is to be based entirely on the Word of God. And so we unashamedly believe, don't we, as fundamental independent Baptists, that the Bible is the sole authority for faith and practice. We should earnestly endeavour, as far as we can, to base all, of our, uh, uh, base all of our practice and our teaching on the Word of God. So doctrine is very important in this age where there are every wind of doctrine, where there is every wind of doctrine. Second use of the scriptures, it's profitable also for reproof. Reproof. Again, that's very contrary to the environment out there, isn't it? That hates reproof. So it's profitable for doctrine. A doctrine needs to come from the word of God and be based on the word of God. And it is profitable for reproof. The word there means to convict, to convince, or to tell a fault, to rebuke. So the Word of God, part of its function is to rebuke us, is to correct us, is to reprove us. We're living in a day today, though, aren't we, where people kick back against reproof. 
there's, there's not that openness to reproof that should be there. And so, but no, this is the service of the Scriptures. The Scriptures are given there uh, for reproof. It's interesting, isn't it? In chapter 4, verse 2, when Paul gives that command to preach the Word, to be instant in season, out of season, the two on the top of the list there are reprove and rebuke. You should be thankful if you're in a church where you get reproved from the Word of God. We need that. We need the reproof of the Word of God because the bend of our nature is towards sin. And the Word of God has a way of reproving us and convicting us and showing us our fault. Someone said to one of the men of our church here, I think it was Brother Ferguson, said, well, you must be fairly comfortable here. You've been here for 14 years or something. said, I'm not, I'm not comfortable. I get uncomfortable every Sunday. <laughs> the Word of God, that's what we need. We need the Word of God's correction in our lives. So it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and then number three, for correction. This word correction means to straighten up again, to rectify, to set right, wrong things right. That's good, isn't it? The Word of God will set wrong things right in your life. And we need that. We need the Word of God to have that ministry of correction in our lives. The Word of God will keep you on a straight course as a Christian. You know, you think about it, you think about an aeroplane, perhaps, and how, how the pilot has to keep that aeroplane on course and refer back to the instruments to make sure that he is on course because any even, even a slight deviation off of course and you can end up in a very devastating situation just even from a little deviation. And so that's why we need the correction. The Word of God will keep us on course because if you even just deviate a little bit from the Word of God, over time you can find yourself in a very difficult and devastating position. People say, well, we're not changing too much. We, you know, we, we're, just, we're just adjusting this little thing here and this little thing there. I know, but what's, where's that going to take you in 10 years' time? Where are you going to end up in 10 years' time from here? No, the Word of God will straighten you up again. It'll rectify you. It'll set the wrong things right in your life. Then instruction. Instruction in righteousness. The word instruction there literally means child training. It includes the concepts of discipline, training and education. It's a discipline. The Word of God disciplines us. You know, it's a discipline to be faithful in a church that actually preaches the Word of God. It's a great blessing. It's a great encouragement, but it's also a discipline. We're under the discipline of the Word of God. The Word of God has that uh, way of shaping and moulding our whole character. That's the whole idea. The Word of God is to shape and to mould us because, after all, we want to live for the Lord. We don't want to just come to church on Sunday and have this Sunday-only Christianity and then go on to live the rest of our lives uh, during the week differently. We want to be walking with the Lord and, and learning to live for Him. So we have the source of the Scriptures. Then look at verse 17, the sufficiency of the Scriptures. How are we going to live in an apostate age? Well, by being anchored to the Word of God, and the Word of God is divine and pure, and it is totally sufficient to equip us for the task. That the man of God may be perfect, means mature, truly furnished unto how many good works? All good works. 
This is a very important verse on the total sufficiency of the scriptures for faith and for practice. The demonstrative pronoun there, that, points to the end or to the goal of, the ver- of these various functions of Scripture. What is the goal in all of that? Well, it is to make us perfect. It's to bring us to maturity. And that should be our desire, to grow to maturity as a believer. And the Word of God will, will do that. And the Word of God equips us. It's totally sufficient It's th- uh, through, to truly furnish us under all good works. That phrase, truly furnish, means to completely outfit to fully furnish, to fully equip or supply. You may have heard the phrase, a fully furnished house. Okay, fully furnished house means you go in and everything's there for you. Cutlery's in place, furniture, everything. It's fully furnished as opposed to empty. And that's the picture here. The Word of God completely furnishes, furnishes our lives for every form of Christian service, for everything. It, it's everything that we need. So we have all that we need as Christians, in the living word, Colossians 2, 9 through 10, and in the written word, the word of God. There's no need for tradition to be added, and let me add this, nor do we need a new revelation from you. We do not need some new revelation. Let me just tell you, God gave me a revelation. No, you did not get a revelation. And I'm not interested, because... We don't need any new revelation. We just simply need to get our hearts and minds into the revelation of the Word of God. By the way, don't use that when you say, oh, I had a revelation as I was reading my Bible this morning. Well, no, you had an illumination. Illumination is where the Spirit of God shows you something, but you didn't get a revelation. The revelation's there. (laughs) I had a revelation. That's very important in an apostate age where we're more and more being encouraged to step outside of the purview of Scripture to step away from the, uh, the, the total sufficiency of the Scriptures and to look for other revelations and other sources of so-called truth. No, the Bible is totally sufficient for everything that we need. And it's sufficient to equip us unto how many good works? All good works. Every form of Christian service and ministry must be based on the word of God. The word of God will equip you for all good works. So, continue there. It's not how you start, is it, in the Christian life? It's how you finish. And Paul is encouraging Timothy here. Timothy, perilous times will come. Dangerous times are coming. Men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, all those things, creeping into houses, that terrible dark picture, but I want you to continue, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Stay true to the word of God, stay true to the scriptures. This is what we need in an apostate age. You say, how are we to live as Christians in an age that is increasingly like what is described here in the prophecy of 2 Timothy chapter 3? We'll be faithful to the word of God, stand for the word of God, get into the word of God, have your life anxious anchored in the word of God and don't be a part of the great drift that's on out there just drift with the currents of apostasy stay faithful to the word of God let's bow for prayer shall we Lord we thank you for your word communicated tonight Lord through weakness but we pray Lord that you administer it to every heart and to every life we thank you that the word of God is 
quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, Lord, you've given us everything we need in this blessed book. Give us uh, that love for it, Father, to read it, to study it, to obey it. And Lord, I pray that we would take to heart this exhortation in an apostate hour to, be, to continue in the things we have learned, to be faithful. Lord, I pray you'd raise up in this, out of this very room faithful men and faithful women, Lord, who will get a hold and get assured of the Word of God and of the doctrines of the Word of God and the truths of the Word of God and hold fast to them. Lord, help us to be steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the word, in the work of the Lord for as much as we know our labours are not in vain in the Lord. Help us to stand for the truth in these days, we pray, to hold fast to the Word of God and to uphold the Scriptures in a lost and dying world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.